Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I think what we have to do is all take a deep breath. If we want justice to be served, we've got to wait until a thorough and complete investigation is done. We do not want to play judge, jury, and executioner, whether we're talking about Mr. Blake or we're talking about the police officer. One of the most sensible things that's been said over the past week about Kenosha, Wisconsin. Have any idea who that happened to be? Any guess? That voice familiar to you? Probably isn't. I mean, there's a chance. If you are super, super clued in, there's a chance that voice is familiar to you. But if it's not, it happens to be one of the people who had both the right skin color and right gender to be considered by Joe Biden as his running mate. That being Orlando Democrat Val Demings. Yeah, no kidding. Val Demings. Maybe Biden missed it on the running mate thing. Just as an aside, by the way. If you're an employer, if you happen to be a business owner, are you able to discriminate on the basis of gender or race? Probably not, right? I have a feeling that you get eh, just a little bit of trouble if you try to discriminate on the basis of gender and race. But it's cool when Joe Biden does it, right? And the news media, well, they're they're not even going to call him out. Just as an aside, since we play identity politics these days and identity politics, revisionist history. Hey there, it is Brian Mudd. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a privilege to be here guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And what we need is a heavy dose of perspective. I talk about the premise. If the premise of anything is false, anything built on that false premise is bound to fail as well. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. And I noticed something, and it dawned on me in an even greater way when none other than Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll had this to say over the weekend. White people need to be coached up. They need to be educated about what the heck is going on in the world. Black people can't scream anymore. They can't march anymore. They can't bear their souls anymore to what they've lived with for hundreds of years. Because white guys came over from Europe and started a whole new country with a great idea and great ideals and wrote down great writings and laws and all of that about democracy and freedom and equality for all. Is that what happened? Interrupting what Mr. Carroll Outlined here for a moment, the uh, great constitutionalist, Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks. Is that how this country happened? And a bunch of white guys who came over from Europe and said, hey, we're going to do this whole constitution thing. And uh, yeah, and it was just all hunky dory. 
little bit of a false premise going on here. Just a little bit. Okay, so continuing with Mr. Carroll, what he had to say. And then that's not what happened. Because we went down this road here and followed economies. Rich white guys making money. And they put together a system of slavery. And we've never left it, really. It's never gone away. Here's the irony of a guy who coaches a team of players that are 80% black with the average salary over $2.5 million a year. And we never really left slavery. It really has never gone away. Anything questionable about that logic, about that premise, Mr. Carroll? Continuing with our constitutional scholar, Pete Carroll. And black people know the truth. They know exactly what's going on. It's white people who don't know. It's not that they're not telling us. Well, they've been telling us stories. We know what's right and what's wrong. We just have not been open to listen to it. We've been unwilling to accept the real history. We've been taught a false history of what happened in this country. Well, damn straight in your case, Pete. I don't know where you got your history, but it definitely is false. Anyway, we've been basing things on false premises. Uh Uh-huh. And it's not been about equality for all. It has not been about freedom for all. It has not been opportunity for all. And it needs to be. This is a humanity issue we're dealing with. This is a white people's issue to get over and learn what's going on and to figure it out and to start loving everybody that is part of this country and that want to come to our country wherever they want to come from. Okay. So there you go. The statement of one Pete Carroll. I noticed a number of especially white football players that ended up echoing almost that identical sentiment. And I don't know if it was like, hey, here are your talking points. If you're a white dude in the NFL, go say this. Or if they actually all believe it. And somehow or another, this is what's taught somewhere along the way in uh, either college or NFLing, as the case may be. We got a problem with the premise. One of the things I do, because I'm type A, extraordinarily passionate about what matters, right and wrong, about this country, about the people that fight, defend, die for this country, for the people that put on a badge, leave their families every day, never knowing what the heck is going to happen when they, they walk out the door, but they do it anyway, for about average income. So we can go about our lives and people like Pete Carroll can make millions of dollars to be a boob. It's quite the luxury. The way I I dealt with, over the course of time, my frustrations, not to hate someone like Pete Carroll, because we're called on not to hate, nothing good comes of that, right? We see what happens when we are attracted to hatred. That's when violence is carried out. That's when the worst of us emerges. That's when the worst of society ends up becoming a lot of what we've seen. So if we're called on to be thinking people, and if we are called on not to hate, one of life's greatest ironies, I think life's greatest irony, is that the more we learn, the more we realize how little we actually know. And at that point, it's simply about 
an accumulation of knowledge. You could have the highest aptitude, off-the-charts genius everywhere, and spend your entire life just trying to learn everything there is to learn. You're never going to do it, right? But it is important that we get the basic things right. It is important that we have education, civics, history, taught, understood. It is important that we understand the premise of this country. It is important that statements like Pete Carroll's don't become the norm, which it's understandable now where some of this comes from. If you've not been taught this country's history in the school system and how many school districts across the country have taught the Constitution, have truly taught history, and if you otherwise looked up to somebody like a Pete Carroll and he says something like that, you might just be inclined to go along with it, right? Kind of hard to blame somebody who is listening to somebody who's in a position of authority, a coach. When he's saying he's had a bunch of white guys from Europe and they came and you know did this whole country thing with a bunch of slavery so they could get rich off of it. It's kind of hard to, to fault them for being upset. Except has nothing to do with the truth, right? One of the great ironies of this country, and I want you to think about this for a moment, one of the great ironies of this country is what it took to get here. And we take a look in our society today. I live in South Florida. There isn't a day that goes by people are not fleeing from places like New York to come down here. That's what people of means can do. They can leave. And when you have boobs like Cuomo and Marxists like de Blasio and all the others that are you know, versions of them throughout high-tax states, who is it that ultimately is screwed most by their policies? Well, it certainly isn't somebody like Donald Trump. He's down here full-time now. Mar-a-Lago, outside of Pennsylvania Avenue, that's his house. So, who is it that gets hurt? Well, it's those of the least means, right? Who often are those of minority descent. Those who get hurt most by leftist policies often are those who theoretically are being protected by them. And then what happens? Control. Okay, so that's the game that's been played for quite some time. But that's what we do in our society today, right? Most people of means, when they've had enough, they leave. Think about for a moment what our founders actually did. Think about what had to happen so a boob like Pete Carroll, who makes millions of dollars a year to coach football. Think about what they did. The single most remarkable thing in a series of miraculous events that led to the winning of the Revolutionary War. Who were the founders, by and large? Who were the revolutionaries? Those who were ultimately behind it were who? Those who were among the wealthiest and most capable in society, right? And rather than cutting deals and rather than going along to get along and rather than maybe just moving or doing something different so they weren't in the cross... What did they do? They literally put their wealth, their businesses, 
their property, and their lives on the line to fight. Think about what that would take for a moment. And then for somebody like Boo Pete Carroll to come out and say that white guys came over from Europe and started a new country with a great idea and great ideals and wrote down great writings and laws and all that about democracy and freedom and equality for all. And then that's not what happened. How much of a disservice is that to them? To them, let alone to the falsehood that is perpetuated by anybody that buys into that load of crap. He literally is in the position he's in, near the top of society, articulating a bunch of lies because of those people. Every one of us has the luxury to have whatever our gripe is today because those people decided to put their lives on the line when they were among the most well-to-do in society. But when you don't teach that, this is what you get. And if you embrace that false premise, well, there's no shortage of any number of different things you're going to get wrong. And that's what we're dealing with today. A false history being perpetuated by people in positions of influence being bought into by those that haven't been taught differently. And that's why it's more important than ever that we have information and that we lead with information, not hate, and we open people's minds. Because if we do that, we can open hearts. Talk a little bit about this, including some of the similarities between MLK, then figures like, I don't know, Jesse Jackson, and then somebody like Donald Trump compared to, say, somebody like Joe Biden. Draw some parallels between our founders and all of these different themes and we'll get to it coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. Now I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty. And they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of conservative thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.4 million Americans receive Primus for free every month. And you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's no strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for Hillsdale to send Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. You cannot imagine what it feels like to look at your baby paralyzed from the waist down, shackled, shackled. Where was my son going? 
They already put him in the bed. You know who that's the voice of? I started the show with Val Demings, Democrat, Orlando, making a lot of sense. A week late, but making a lot of sense about not jumping to conclusions. What you just heard, that was the voice of the father of Jacob Blake. Now, you would have him be a martyr, right? I mean, a lot of people would have him be a martyr at this point. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Who are your heroes? Talking about the premise. Talking about embracing a falsehood. False narratives. Learned something recently on exactly where I think some people are coming from for thinking that this country was founded on racism, this country is so unfair and everything else. Pete Carroll uh, espoused the viewpoint that you just had a bunch of white Europeans that came over here, and uh, they went ahead and wrote some laws, put a constitution together, and then raked it on slavery. Not that you know there was this little inconvenient thing like a revolution that was fought for the freedom, where you actually had the richest in society that literally gave up everything they have, including putting their lives on the line to try to fight for what ended up going into those founding documents. No, not the real history there. But in the case of of Mr. Blake, does that sound like the father of someone who sexually assaulted a woman? Does that sound like the, the father of someone who violated a restraining order for a woman that he had sexually assaulted? Because that is who Jacob Blake is. Paralyzed as he may be at this point, and without knowing, still to this day, eight days later, whether proper force was used or not, as Val Deming said, we should let this play out. Is Mr. Blake someone who is operating on a false premise, perhaps? See, one of the challenges we're running into with the narratives that are being espoused, racism and everything else, if Jacob Blake doesn't commit sexual assault, are we having this conversation? If Jacob Blake doesn't violate the restraining order for sexual assault, are we having this conversation? If Jacob Blake doesn't resist arrest for the outstanding warrant for the aforementioned, are we having this conversation? And if Jacob Blake, within resisting arrest, doesn't potentially threaten law enforcement, are we having this conversation? How do we know who the real victim is here? This is the problem of holding up a false premise. This is the problem from hands up, don't shoot, which never happened. We're going to talk about some perspective. Who real heroes should be. Coming up next, I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Now, I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College. 
one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty. And they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of conservative thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.4 million Americans receive Imprimus for free every month. And you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's no strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Washington, D.C., New York, Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, Kenosha. All of these cities are Democrat-run. All of these cities have experienced anarchy, violence, and destruction in recent days. The opposite of a peaceful protest. Yeah, other than that, it's great, though. Other than that, it's great. Pretty remarkable what's taking place in our society today. And I learned something over the weekend about revisionist history. It's Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I I learned and spent a lot of time trying to acquire knowledge about real history, about the founding of this country, about our laws, our Constitution, and trying to figure out how it is to best apply in today's society for any number of different issues. And then I realized, you know, along the way, when you hear something you know is wrong, what do you do? Well, the inclination is just to kind of fight back. You might get mad. It might make you angry. At worst, it could make you hate. Not good things. None of that's constructive. But I realized I didn't know really what the revisionist history was. I didn't realize the revisionist history was that you just had a bunch of white guys who came over from Europe and uh, they put together some laws and some slavery and then made a boatload of money off of it, and slavery never ended in this country, as the great constitutionalist, Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll, articulated. And then when I heard other NFL players articulate something similar, I was like, holy crap, this might be the revisionist history I did not understand. And so it's hard to blame somebody who thinks that eh, there wasn't this revolution. If you were never taught about the American Revolution, if you never knew who the revolutionaries were, well, it, it might make sense that you just had this land over here. You had a bunch of white guys that came over from Europe. They uh, they shot up some Indians, and boom, slaves were rich. And you can see why people would really be upset about that, especially if they felt like they're still being victimized, albeit his players that average making two and a half million dollars a year to play a sport. But I digress. Those slaves, the two and a half million dollar a year plus slaves. I want you to think about a few people. As I'm talking about perspective, and I'm going to come back around for the perspective on our police. Because this is really important. What's happening this particular moment of time is critical. It's critical because, yes, we have 63 days before Election Day. It's critical because, yes, we have to have an ending to this nonsense, this violence. Yes, we need real history to be taught in our schools. But what happens 
the day that good people no longer decide to be cops. I'm going to come back around on that one. But one of the things that I remarked about the onset of the show, our founders, for all the flaws that no doubt existed with these people, they were among the most wealthy, most capable, most comfortable in this society. Our revolutionaries at the top. And unlike people who get comfortable today, and by the way, I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming you. Who go, you know what? I'm being screwed by these high taxes. I'm being taken advantage of by these politicians. I'm not even able to run my business anymore. I'm going to go to a place like Florida. We welcome you as long as you don't vote for the same politicians that did that to you in the first place down here. So wonder what we got. But those people actually stood and fought. And because they did, and because they pulled off a series of minor miracles, here we are, able to complain the way we are. Where even the impoverished in this country is far more wealthy than the average person in the world. It's one of the other great ironies in our society. You know that if you take a look at the average worldwide income, the federal poverty line is greater than double what the average person in the world earns in a year. Federal poverty line. That's how good this country has it. This, that's how good this bastion of slavery that never ended, according to whiz bang smart people like Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. That's what it's afforded. Pretty remarkable. Anyway, here's the thing. You have people that throughout the course of our history have been different versions of a similar thing. Take someone like MLK. I mean, granted, you know, not from wealthy means by any any stretch. But nevertheless, you know, in a situation where he could have made himself perhaps comfortable, been prominent within his society, and, and certainly lived a lot easier life for himself, what did he do? He put it all on the line, including his life. And he went about it the right way. Not violence, peace, actual protest, not riots. And in the end, he paid with his life. And what was his dream? His dream was that one day we would judge people on the content of character rather than color of skin. Now, I want to point out the irony of the disservice that is being done to MLK's dream all these years later. How many decades has it been since the dream speech? For Joe Biden to say that he has identified four black women, which he was considering for vice president. Was that MLK's dream? Not that we would have a black woman who would be a running mate based on merit, but we would have the consideration of only black women because we're considering skin color. And gender in this case. All things that if you discriminated as an employer on the basis of, you would be in violation of federal law. Uh, You know, minor details. All right. So think about this. Every time we use race as an issue, every time we separate from each other on the basis of race, we're doing a disservice to MLK's dream. 
into unity. See, what's ironic, and this is the great farce, and you being an astute listener to this program, no doubt know that all Black Lives Matter, the organization, not the people who are ignorant that just say, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but the actual organization itself is is a Marxist front organization. It's really somewhat disinterested about race. It's more about Marxism. You know that just the saying Black Lives Matter is a slap in the face to Martin Luther King Jr. So you take somebody who came after the path that he paved, where he did everything the right way and he paid with his life. Not unlike some of the founders in this country, right? And you have somebody like Jesse Jackson who steps up. Now, rather than taking the progress that had been made and calling on people to make the most of themselves that happened to be of color, what did Jesse Jackson do? Well, he built a whole movement based on what? Division. Rather than declaring victory, rather than acknowledging that progress was being made, well, he ended up making millions of dollars enriching himself as a shakedown artist on the basis of race, pushing notions like affirmative action, which again is literally the antithesis of MLK's dream. Ironic, isn't it? This is the problem when you embrace a false premise. When you embrace a false premise, you go along with the Jesse Jacksons, with the Black Lives Matter. You go along with any organization that is willing to separate people. You will never have unity as long as you have people that are simply taking a look at somebody's skin color and categorizing them. As long as you have a presidential candidate of a major party who decides that he's only going to consider people of a certain race and gender, we're not going to be unified. These are people who exploit division inherently. And that's the challenge that we face when people embrace a false premise. Two sides to stories, one side to facts. Let's go to Ray in Pennsylvania. Ray, go. Yeah, Brian. Hi, the uh, the Jacob. I can't think his last name now offhand. I'm sorry. Like um, who who was shot by these officers? Um, it, it's troubling to me um, because the the officers had hands on him. And to see that he was shot seven times in the back is absolutely inexcusable when officers had hands on him. Regardless, he broke parole and the crime that he may have committed, um, they had him in their arms. Why seven times in the back? They were, they were right there with him. So that's troubling. And it uh- makes me think that this, the, the same people that are burning down cities have sent or paid for this to orchestrate this event to keep the the chaos and the unrest and the division and the illusion going on as much as they can. Ray, um, a couple of questions for you. I mean, first, have you have you ever attempted to arrest a criminal? No, I have not. So there, therefore, you have not tried to arrest a criminal who also is resisting arrest. 
And therefore, you also have not attempted to arrest a criminal who is resisting arrest that is so aggressive that even when tased, is still allegedly able to reach for a knife. So in a moment in which you have not been through all these different things, and we don't know the rest of the details, you're able to necessarily infer that the police officer is guilty. I'm saying I don't I don't see it being reasonable shooting someone seven times in the back when they are at arm's length. I think there is a, a lot that we don't understand. I think it's very easy for people who sit back in, in you know, a chair and quarterback this thing, uh, you know, to try to make assumptions with. Look, it may be proven that excessive force was used. That's altogether possible, right? But that's why we have investigations. If it were so open and closed, we would not be sitting here eight days later without any charges being brought against a police officer. And the one thing that we have to remember, and this is one of the great sins, the governor of Wisconsin, who opened the door for the riots to begin with, in the immediate aftermath, two Sundays ago, when this shooting of Jacob Blake happened, he said, we stand against excessive use of force and immediate escalation when engaging with black Wisconsinites. Tonight, Jacob Blake was shot in the back multiple times in broad daylight in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kathy and I joined his family, friends, and neighbors in hoping earnestly that he will not succumb to his injuries. Our state reels from another attack against a black man as communities grieve and exercise their First Amendment rights to demand justice. And as Jacob Blake fights for his life, we are reminded that racism is a public health crisis. This is the governor of Wisconsin who is assigning guilt to the police officer and who is necessarily indicating this was about race. This is one of the other problems when we embrace a false premise. Is there any evidence whatsoever this had anything to do with race? No. Well, here's what we know. If Jacob Blake does not sexually assault a woman, And if Jacob Blake doesn't violate a restraining order from a sexual assault, and if Jacob Blake doesn't resist arrest while being detained for the aforementioned, we're not having this conversation. Where does race enter that particular equation? George Floyd. Where does race enter that equation? See, that's another thing that's been based on a false premise. Is there any indication whatsoever? that Derek Chauvin did what he did because George Floyd was black. And it's another issue where we continue to embrace people that have acted in a way that is problematic generally. If you don't have George Floyd, who has a rap sheet longer than I am tall, though I'm five foot six, so, I mean, look. But anyway, if he's not nearly a career criminal, If he's not being arrested for the latest crime he's committing, if he's not hopped up on a bunch of illegal drugs, and if he's not resisting arrest for several minutes, we're not having that conversation. Now, everything that happened from that point obviously was wrong. But is there any indication race had anything to do with it? Maybe in time, through the investigation, through the court case, we'll find out it was. And if so, so be it at that point. But we do know that you had perpetrators that committed crimes 
resisted arrest, and we had bad outcomes. We also know that immediately you had people like governors that assumed that it was about race when there's no evidence of it. Fanning the flames of potentially a false premise, creating martyrs out of people that are not among the finest in society. Are we choosing the MLKs of the world or the Jesse Jacksons of the world? These are the challenges that we have going forward. There is but no question that Governor Tony Evers in Wisconsin contributed to the violence that took place in Kenosha. Because in the immediate aftermath, he embraced a false premise. He assigned guilt to the police officer and and he indicated what? In Kenosha, Wisconsin, this happened. You think that was a call to people outside the area to come in? What did we find out about the people who arrived that caused the problems in Kenosha? Most of them were from outside, right? Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud love in. Now, I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty. And they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of conservative thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.4 million Americans receive Primus for free every month. And you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's no strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for Hillsdale to send Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. people from outside Kenosha, outside Wisconsin, and we've had some that are outside the United States calling in here to scare people of what what's going to happen. David Beth, the sheriff in Kenosha, people from even outside the country brought in. You think you have an organization of people that are just ready to exploit a situation given the opportunity? You think if you have a governor of Wisconsin who immediately assigns guilt, immediately says that it's an act of racism, that might be a signal to those that are waiting in the wings to come to a place like Kenosha, Wisconsin? Maybe? A governor who literally makes his community less safe? Pretty remarkable. Let's go to David in Maryland. David, go. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have been listening to the show on my on my ride home, and I'm a little bit frustrated. You know, from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like you're being dismissive. I 100% agree with you that you know politicians and or anyone should not automatically jump to a conclusion 
and assign guilt or make it about race because we don't know what the motivation is. And we can't look into someone's heart. We don't know. And I agree with that. As a black man, however, and as a conservative, it does frustrate me that when I'm listening to conservative talk that I don't hear conservative radio hosts uh, bring out the fact that there is racial inequality in this country. No question. No question. Hey, David, hold that thought, and we'll be back. We'll tackle it on the other side, because you're right. You're right. There are racists. There are inequities. What's the premise of them? We'll talk about it coming back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Because I am a tremendous fan of law enforcement, and I want to thank the law enforcement. They've done a good job. And when the governor says that I shouldn't come or he'd prefer that I not come, I'm the one that called him and said, Tony, you got to bring out the National Guard. Well, I don't really want to do it. Yeah, I mean, kind of an inconvenient truth here. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. And if the premise of anything is false, anything built on it is going to be as well. It is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I am the host of the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a privilege to guest host for the great one. And uh, you may find me on Twitter at Brian Mudd Radio as well. Now, we catch up to speed with where the conversation has been. Started talking about the false premise of the systematic racism that is expressed by many who find fault with law enforcement, with whatever they want to find fault with in our society right now. And one thing I realized just over the weekend is that while I've spent a lot of time learning actual history, learning the Constitution, learning about the founding of this country, learning about our founding fathers and what they went through so that we have the luxury of having this conversation right now, I realized that I hadn't really spent any time trying to figure out what the leading narrative was from the people who believe Lina Bull. And then I realized when I heard Pete Carroll's comments, coach of the Seattle Seahawks over the weekend, in which, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, you had a bunch of white guys from Europe who came over, put some laws together, hooked up some slavery, got rich, and went, woohoo! Kind of left out everything about, came over here and even though they were by and large wealthy and comfortable, went ahead and decided that freedom and liberty was more important than their comfort, their wealth, and potentially their lives. So they fought this little thing called a revolution to provide for the documents that became the founding documents for this country, that have allowed for the freedom that we all enjoy, that have allowed for this country. I learned that, especially when I heard it articulated, in various forms over the weekend as well by other football players. And I went, oh, so maybe this is what the false narrative is that has been perpetuated. And we're going to talk about schools a little bit later in the the show. Hot button topic. You ever heard me talk about education? You know uh, that I believe a lot of our ills right now today that we're dealing with 
have to do with the Department of Education and what public education, the education establishment has done, and in many cases, omitted in terms of teaching real history that I think is sentinel in where we are for people not understanding the founding of this country, for believing that it was founded on racism. One thing I, I want to do, and I didn't want to be dismissive, I had a call right before the top of the hour, and he was talking about how he's a black conservative, but he feels a lot of people on talk radio are dismissive of the issue of racism and that it does exist. And he's absolutely right. I'm a pragmatist and I'm also a numbers guy. So I want to walk you through something real quick. That's just pure logic. Let's say, for example, X percentage of the population is racist. It's not mutually exclusive, right? It's not like only white people are racist. People of every background are going to be racist, right? White people are racist. Asian people are racist. Black people are racist. People of various Hispanic descent, racist, right? They're racist in every walk of, of life, in every background. Unfortunately, people are fallible, and some people could su succumb to the worst of it. That's why I think it's more important that we learn, we educate, and we don't get motivated by hate and anger, but rather we try to understand each other a little bit better and through information try to make progress. So let me just speak in sheer numbers. I just, from a point of logic, can understand why many who are black feel as though it's more pervasive. Because you know what? Let's just say that, you know, X percentage, whatever you want it to be, I have no clue. I've never seen anything empirical on this, so we'd just be guessing. But let's just say for a moment that 5% of the population was racist. Well, if you take a look at, you know, the, the makeup of this country, 12.5% of this country approximately is black, and just over 60% is white. The balance... Uh, predominantly people of various Hispanic backgrounds, and then, you know, Asians and, you know, folks that are from India and everything. You know, you, you walk through the spectrum at that point. You get into very small percentages. Now, if you have a static percentage of people across the spectrum that are racist naturally, you're going to come across more white racists because there's simply more people. I understand. I understand that. It, it, it is logical. The importance, though, is we don't get bogged down in it. I was thinking about something, and I, it had been a really long time. I'm from suburban Atlanta. I grew up in suburban Atlanta. And um, there are a lot of things that were interesting experiences in hindsight growing up. At the time, I didn't make anything of it. But reflecting, I really have. Because the city of Atlanta itself, uh, the historical significance when we're talking about racial issues, well known. But just growing up in the burbs and a lot of the experiences was an interesting education for where we are at this point in, in life. I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest of five all in. And uh, I always try to keep up with my older brothers, one of which played football. Other brother, outstanding tennis player. Uh, and he's recovering from knee surgery right now. Kevin, God bless you. Get well. But uh, I wanted to play football. And where we lived, which was a predominantly white area, wasn't able to play Pop Warner football as young as I wanted to. But in a neighboring county that happened to be predominantly black, I was able to. So my dad ended up taking me over there so I could play football. First year I played Pop Warner football, I was literally the only white kid on the team. And I remember looking back, all the different names I was called. And a lot of things that I suppose, if one was looking to be offended, you consider to be racist. But I didn't. Because I just wasn't thinking that way. And these were my teammates. 
And we had a great time. I love that year of football. But if I had a chip on my shoulder and, you know, being called things like cracker, whitey, whatever, and, you know, along with some other thing, if, the, if I was looking to be offended by it, yeah, it could have been pretty rough. What we make of a situation applies to it as well. And the question is, are people meaning it with malice? Are people trying to keep others down? And that's where we've got to be careful. I talked to last hour about the difference with someone like MLK. He literally said decades ago now, his dream was that one day we would not judge people on the color of the skin, but on content of character. Here we are decades later. What are we talking about? For people who want to proclaim to be these social justice warriors, who are they? Black Lives Matter? Aside from the organization being a Marxist front organization, just the premise of Black Lives Matter literally is a slap in the face to MLK. But we have done such a piss poor job of teaching history, of really trying to understand the message, that we walk right past it. And those that are alleged leaders on race, what have they done? Somebody like Jesse Jackson that took the torch from MLK, what did he do? He exploited it. He did the opposite of MLK. He went out there and ended up shaking down businesses, making millions of dollars, exploiting race. And this is the problem with so many that are part of the race culture today. Rather than declaring victory and going home after the Civil Rights Act and just trying to make things better generally in their own communities, you had people that realized, hey, uh, if we don't have division, I'm going to lose power. And I'm going to lose the opportunity to make money. How much money is there in race? How much power is there in race? How many people, for political interest, for corporate interest, for just personal enrichment, have used race to get ahead, to be relevant? How many people that are in those positions of prominence want to let that go? If we actually lived in harmony, if we actually just took whatever these small percentage of actual racists are and we isolated ourselves from them and just let them be in, in their place of hate and, and pray for them to get out of that place, would, would we need them? Would we need organizations that literally divide people based upon race? If someone like Joe Biden was really interested in racial equality, would he literally use race and gender as qualifiers for consideration for a position? Or is that just pandering? Until and unless we stop dividing each other based upon qualifiers, until and unless we actually listen to the message of MLK, we're not going to get anywhere. I reject Black Lives Matter because it is a false premise. You cannot, you cannot believe in Dr. King's dream and believe in Black Lives Matter. One does not wash with the other. And a lot of people, because I am a middle-aged white guy doing talk radio, want to say you have no right to talk about these things or anything else. But you know what? Aside from just not being afraid of political correctness and doing the wrong thing, I've spent a lot of time not only studying this, but actually going to people 
that know a thing or two about this, including multiple members of the King family and learning from them. It's one of the things I've been fortunate to do over the course of time in talk radio. It's a message that still lives with some today. There's a reason why many in the King family, who otherwise are prominent in terms of the cause and the concern, are not the ones that you see bandied about on most cable news programs and most news outlets, because it is the message of inclusion. It is the message of equality. It is not the message of segregation on the basis of race or gender. So I reject the premise that we need to be separating ourselves that way. And the moment that we have an incident to where you have someone who is a sexual offender, who violates a restraining order against the person that he sexually assaulted, and then resist arrest for the warrant and an effort to protect the woman that was the victim of sexual assault, the moment we make that about race, we got problems. That's what happens when you embrace a false premise. And all the people that automatically assumed it was about that, they're the ones that are trying to profit off of race. And who loses? Everybody else. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. So I've been watching these riots around the country. I'm absolutely sickened. I'm sure most of you are. You know, John Locke once said, law is not to abolish or restrain, but to preserve and enlarge freedom. Where there's no law, there's no freedom. You want to let rioters burn down your cities? There goes your freedom. You want to get rid of cops? There goes your freedom. You want to elect Joe Biden? There goes your freedom. As you've heard me say many times, I have a liberty agenda. And at Levin TV, which airs on Blaze TV, you can watch this come to life with our conservative pro-American content that reveres our Constitution and champions our individual freedoms. This is what we do each and every day. And there's never been a better time to check us out. Just go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, and sign up today for a free 30-day trial. That's right. We're going to give you a full month of Levin TV and all the other great shows on Blaze TV at no cost to you, but only if you subscribe right now at levintv.com. officers were shot at or shot this year in Chicago. Do uh, those lives matter? Police matter? Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. One of the great injustices that is done, aside from race, which we've talked about extensively, is the disservice we're doing to all of ourselves. Not just police officers, but everybody in our society. When we Embrace a false premise that police have done something wrong when there's no evidence of that having been the case. I want to bring up a couple examples for you. If I bring up the name Trayvon Martin, what comes to mind? Can you remember the story of Trayvon at this point? Now, this isn't a, a situation of an actual law enforcement professional. George Zimmerman was, you know, quote unquote, like a, a community you know, supporter kind of guy. Um, and I mean, subsequently has been a bit of a piece of work, although Lord knows that that situation screwed him up. Anyway, Trayvon Martin, 
a lot of people will still cite that name as an injustice. You know what the investigation found? Trayvon Martin was on top of George Zimmerman and was beating him into a bloody pulp. Might have killed him if George Zimmerman hadn't acted in self-defense. Hands up, don't shoot. In fact, there's a good chance that you've actually heard that cited by people recently, right? Hands up, don't shoot. You remember the situation that was involved with? It was uh, Michael Brown. Remember the case of Michael Brown? Hands up, don't shoot. You realize that years later, we have people that are citing hands up, don't shoot, and it never actually happened. See, Michael Brown was another case of a criminal who ended up creating problems. In the case of Michael Brown, you had someone who robbed his store and then attacked a police officer. No hands up, don't shoot. No racial injustice. No police brutality of a black man. Simply, a person who happened to be black, who robbed a store, and then attacked a cop. But, is that what people remember? Then you take the case, more recently, of George Floyd. In the case of George Floyd, again, you're talking about somebody who was essentially a career criminal. Who had just committed another crime who was hopped up on drugs, and who was resisting arrest for several minutes. Again, everything that happened from that point, we now know is is wrong. And wrongdoing needs to be persecuted to the fullest extent of the law, with law enforcement. But still no indication race had anything to do with it. And then we take our latest instance with Jacob Blake. And you'll notice a theme in these. You'll notice a theme that with every one of these situations that has been exploited, every one of them that has been used to create division, you have people that are being used as the catalyst that were actually in the wrong to begin with. And you notice that in all these instances, if there hadn't been a reaction against law enforcement, we're not having any of these conversations. There's no question but that if Michael Brown doesn't come after that cop, he doesn't get shot by the cop. There's no question but that if George Floyd hadn't resisted arrest, he wouldn't have ended up on the ground. And there's no question but that if Jacob Blake had not resisted arrest, we're not having this conversation, but we are. It's what happens when we don't have the rest of the story. Be right back. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin. It's been reported that Americans are overpaying on car insurance by over $21 billion. But searching for a better deal can take hours and typically results in a barrage of unwanted spam calls. Until now, thanks to the Zebra.com. 
TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site because it's the only place you can compare quotes side by side from over 100 providers and choose the best for you in 90 seconds or less. Plus, they'll never sell your information to the spammers, so you won't get all those unwanted calls or emails. You just answer a few questions on a simple, fast form, and they find you the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch calls the Zebra Kayak for auto insurance. Now, the best part is that it's completely free. You can save up to $670 a year using thezebra.com. Whatever your economic situation, the Zebra is committed to helping you save. How much can you save on car and home insurance? Go today and start saving at thezebra.com slash Levin. That's thezebra.com slash Levin spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. They were shouting threats, you know, to us, to, to kill us, to hurt us. But they're also threats saying, shout, shouting, say her name, Breonna Taylor. And it's like, you couldn't reason with this mob, but I'm actually the author of the Breonna Taylor law to end no-knock raids. So the irony is lost on these idiots that they're trying to kill the person who's actually trying to get rid of no-knock raids. Yeah, Rand Paul, after the rioters in D.C. at the conclusion of the RNC, went after he and his wife. Irony, isn't it? Yes. Ignorance. Well, there's plenty of it in society. And it's our job to not get angry, to not engage in hatred, but to understand and to win in the arena of ideas. Because what's evident is that many people have been fed a false premise. And if you never knew differently, if you never knew differently, well, then you can begin to understand why people are all screwed up in terms of the way they look at things. And that's where education comes into play. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I want to put something in front of you for a second. Some of the perspective on police. So here we have all of the riots that have taken place for most recently two incidents, which to this day, there is zero evidence race had anything to do with them. George Floyd and Jacob Blake. Okay. For whatever else we do know, there is zero. And I mean, no evidence, none race had anything whatsoever to do with the George Floyd death or with the shooting of Jacob Blake. And in the case of Jacob Blake, we, as of now, have an open investigation. Don't even know if the police response was inappropriate. Let me give you a couple numbers here. 177. And 72%. Any idea on what those numbers represent? 177 Law enforcement professionals have been killed in the line of duty this year. 177. That's a 72% increase over the same time last year. You hear that articulated anywhere in your news media? Do those lives matter? 
177 officers that have died in the line of duty this year. And just how much more dangerous is it because of the environment that has been created by all those who've placed politics and personal interest ahead of everybody in this country? 72% increase in deaths in law enforcement. Give you a couple other numbers here real quick. 101 in 233. You know what those numbers represent? 101 widows of those 177 law enforcement professionals that have laid down their lives in service this year. And the second number, the number of children who've lost a parent. 101 widows, 233 children who've lost a parent to the 177 law enforcement professionals that have died in the line of duty this year. When do they matter? And it's why it's important that we back the badge and we spread the word. And police are not perfect. And police who do the wrong thing should be prosecuted. We are all screwed without them. And the sacrifice that so many make day in and day out, again, when they leave their families, they put on that badge, and these days go into often hostility, certainly more difficult situations than existed before. Why? Well, because a false narrative has been embraced and perpetuated. It's so critically important that we know, that they know that we're there for them. Let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew, go. Hey, Tom, just wanted to ask you, what position did you play when you played football? Well, I uh, ended up being pretty small. I ended up playing cornerback and free safety on defense, and I was a tailback and uh, eventually a slot receiver on offense. Yeah, I was a corner and a wide receiver. But I want to say uh, the ignorance of Pete Carroll, talking about the setup and how the country was set up. It was the great Reverend Martin Luther King, who's a Republican, who said the Bill of Rights, he used the setup by the so-called the Europeans. He said there's a bill due. Not only is it morally and ethically wrong to segregate and have discrimination, but it's legally wrong according to our Bill of Rights and Constitution. So he's ignorant on that. And I just want to say also the you know the guy who called and said he's a black conservative, it sounds like a setup, like, oh, you know, a seminar and vote for Biden because he empathizes. But what about the institutionalized race, racism with affirmative action? The cities, I came from Newark, from South Orange, Newark. It was difficult for my father to get promotions. He had to constantly sue, even though he had the most seniority. He was the only military veteran. He would often score first on the test. And he had to sue and sue and sue. And when you apply for college, if you're black, you get extra points well, or whatever, and it's easy. So what about that racism? Why doesn't that bother that call? And that, that was really uh, found by the Justice Department as well. Was it Yale that recently was found to be in violation? Because, yeah, you did end up having discrimination for admissions on the basis of race. Bottom line is uh, those who are black in particular were put at uh, the front of the line ahead of anybody who was Asian or white, and that was ultimately discrimination. That is still a pending court case, uh, but good on the DOJ for doing the work and you know recognizing that racism 
and the use of race uh, in a, a qualifying way is not right. And this is why, again, I mean, if you had on, any honesty in the news media and any honesty with those who proclaim to be, you know, some of the uh, civil rights leaders in this country, it would actually be insulted and reject the premise of what Joe Biden did. Because, again, it is unlawful in the United States of America to discriminate on the basis of gender and race. And you quite literally had Joe Biden uh, say that ultimately, in, in so many words, he was going to choose from a, black, a, a group of black women. Four, in the end. Uh, was the, when he was vetting near the end, he told CNN there were four black women that he was, well, he was vetting. Well, that is discrimination on the basis of gender and race. That is not even legal in this country, but because it fit the politically correct narrative of the day, uh, and it satisfied the interest of the left, and then then it's fine. It's just kind of cool. I mean, now imagine if you were you had Donald Trump say, you know what, I'm only going to be taking a look at uh, you know some uh, some white guys here. I mean, what would the the message be then, right? Point is, we shouldn't be looking at those superficial things. And when it comes to any number of different aspects of our life, we are never going to make real progress and not the progress. You talk about Dr. King again, never the progress that he wanted the moment that we use anything other than race as a qualifier. Again, his dream was content of character, not color of skin. All these decades later, all the people who use that are really the ones that are doing the disservice to his message and to his dream. But that's because we don't properly teach. I'll give you a little story about Jesse Jackson real quick, too. I ended up helping years ago. He's been doing a Sunday morning show, radio show for quite some time. And many years ago, when he was getting this set up, I lended an assist with the first broadcast to help get this whole thing going when I was in Georgia. And I asked uh, just for an interview with him. And it was right around, was it 2002, three, somewhere in there, in affirmative action, which was always Jesse's thing, but was still a hot button issue in particular. It was part of the message of the day. And so I ended up uh, talking to Jesse about affirmative action and let him establish his thoughts and why it was so important and everything else. And then I pointed to professional sports. And I forget what the exact percentages were there, but it's somewhat similar to what it is today in the NBA and what it is in the NFL to where you have well in excess of 70% of all the players that are black. Like, okay, so you want affirmative action. So we should go ahead and and fire about 90% of the people who play in the NBA and about 90% of the people who play in the NFL because they're black? Well, no, no, no. Well, but you say we need affirmative action. That means we need to have it be fully representative, right, of everybody in society. Well, no, I mean, you can't. Oh, so you don't really want affirmative action. You really don't want representation based upon makeup of a community. That's the hypocrisy. But again, the entire thing isn't something that's worthy of being embraced in the first place. But it is a good shutdown argument to any who play along those lines as well, in addition to helping educate people about uh, the premise of Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, I was talking a little bit about education, and it's something that I want to delve into a little bit because one of the big issues we have is the failure of our education establishment in many respects. And when you take a look at the failures within education, we are being duped during the pandemic in many respects. Now, you can walk back to 
the creation of the Department of Education in 1980. United States was second in the world in education outcomes at the time of its creation. Only Australia on a relative basis beat us. Any more? Not even close. So that's done a lot of good. But it's also the reason why we don't have history that is being taught, why people do think that this country is potentially racist. But now we're also being duped in terms of what we're paying for in the name of the pandemic. So I want to give you a little bit of a, a thought here. Your taxes. The taxes that you've paid, often with the roof over your head and businesses, payroll, you name it, that go to your school. Did you pay for a classroom education? And Yeah, you did, right? That's what you ultimately paid for. Well, what did you end up getting with distance learning? Well, I did some analysis, and you know that the average virtual learning environment is about $450 per pupil per month cheaper than classroom education? Where's all that money going? While perhaps in your school district, if your kids are not being offered classroom education, where's all that money going? But wait, there's more. You know how demonized Education Secretary Betsy DeVos has been? You know, she just wants all your kids to go in there and get the virus and then kill all the teachers and kill all the parents. Well, I got a study about the outcomes of distance learning now as well. This was a study that was just conducted by researchers at the University of Texas at San Antonio's Urban Education Institute. And they actually have some hard numbers that we can now point to for what's happening, or as often is the case, not happening during the course of distance learning. 11% is the percentage of students that are actually learning more with distance learning. 25%. Percentage of students that are learning about the same. 64%. The percentage of students that are learning less. 64%. All right, so this study illustrate, illustrate a few really important points. Now, first, in terms of unlocking the potential in students, you don't have a one-size-fits-all model. So it is notable, I think, that 11% of students are actually thriving in this virtual classroom environment. But it's also interesting that about a quarter are performing the same. However, most are suffering, 64%. All right, so I think it's a little bit alarming that nearly two-thirds of all children are actually learning less. The United States ranked 17th in reading, 19th in science, and 30th in math outcomes prior, prior to the pandemic. So if now 64% of students are performing worse, what's that going to bring? And throughout the pandemic, one of the questions that's been brought about is whether the remedy is worse than the disease with certain policies. When it comes to education, what does the future look like for the next generation who are already trailing much of the developed world in education? and are now being set up in a system which is producing worse results for most. And that's independent of the fact that you've paid. You've paid for classroom education, which isn't being provided. Are you being refunded that money? This is where you need to hold local governments accountable. They work for you, and this is your money. And back to the premise of this conversation, we clearly have a breakdown with civics being taught or not taught as the case may be, with 
generations of now adults that don't understand the founding of this country, that don't understand the Constitution, that don't understand this country was not founded upon systematic racism, and therefore law enforcement is not inherently racist. If we already were failing before this, and now 64% of students are learning less, where is that going to put us going forward? That's another hidden crisis within what we're dealing with right now. And that's something I'm going to delve into about priorities. As, as important as the presidential election is, as important as this entire cycle is, the next 63 days, it could be that with many of these conversations we're having about law enforcement and about education, the single most important election that's going to happen for you and your family is whichever one is taking place next locally. And talk about those points coming up. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. Do you know what we do at Levin TV on the Blaze TV network? Well, we give you intelligent content you won't see anywhere else. We just did a deep dive into the genius of federalism, which is a big word that the left apparently just learned last week. History and current actions have shown us that so-called progressives will use any crisis to further their big government agenda. Small businesses continue to be hurt, while the left holds them hostage in order to gain more power over each and every American. There's nothing more important in these times than the facts, and that's exactly what you get on Levin TV. Smart people like you deserve smart programming. But remember, we can only continue to produce this type of program if you continue to participate. Right now, we've made it easier than ever before. Just go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, and enter promo code LEVIN to get $30 off your annual subscription. That's 30% off, and that's just over $5 a month for the most amazing shows and programming available. That's levintv.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N. being free to be able to walk out and go for a walk in the park. We cannot go outside now. It's become so dangerous for us. And I don't hear Joe Biden or Kamala Harris saying one thing about the violence. This mob is their voters. This is the new Democrat Party. And if we don't resist this, the United States is going to become Portland. Yes, Senator uh, Rand Paul. Pretty remarkable. And the double standard is remarkable. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Wrap up the conversation about the perspective on police, and and then we're going to talk about the role that local government plays and why it's so critically important that we keep our eye on that ball, too, and not just focus on what's going to happen November 3rd specifically. One thing regarding society, I mean, this is true of all walks. There are good and bad people every aspect of life, right? When it comes to law enforcement, We are all screwed without them. This includes the ingrates, which slander and abuse police officers who put their lives on the line every single day. Imagine right now what it's like for cops. Imagine the environment they have to deal with. I've talked to a lot, a lot of law enforcement professionals. And yeah, it's tougher for just about all of them than they've ever seen. Why do you want to get up and do that every day? Now, we need as many good people in the profession as possible. And what happens? What happens if and when the day comes that good people say, you know what, screw it. Not doing this anymore. That's the problem with false narratives. That's the problem with the rush to judgment. 
And every time this happens, it further disincentivizes good people from getting into the profession. Every time, it further disincentivizes proactive policing. And every time, it makes us less safe. That's why I got to support our police. Be right back. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Local law enforcement, first line of defense, state law enforcement, if both of those fail, then obviously the federal government can step in, and we need that So we need that request from those state uh, governors. Many of them have requested that. Uh, and again, and when we go back to Portland, um, we see uh, exactly how not to protect your communities. It's a case study on the wrong way to do this. 90 days of continued violence. There is a lot of wisdom derived from that simple statement. I mean, you hear that from DHS Acting Secretary Chad Wolf, super sharp guy who was just nominated permanently for that post, absolutely should be confirmed uh, as soon as possible by the Senate. You, You hear it at face value and you go, okay, so that's how this process works. You have local officials and they reach out to the administration. And if they do, then we can provide assistance. And Portland, the reason we've seen three consecutive months of anarchy there is because they've refused that assistance. But the lesson, the lesson that's within that is a critical one. And it's one that ties into what my theme of 2020 has been. I've been saying this for as long as I've been doing talk radio. So it's been around 20 years or so at this point. But it's as true today. And as significant today as it's been at any point. The elections that happen closest to us, and I'm talking in geography, starting with an HOA. If you ever had an overactive HOA, you know what I mean. The elections that happen closest to you, geographically, often have the biggest impact on your daily life. That was absolutely true. At the onset of the pandemic, remains absolutely true at this stage of the pandemic. Absolutely true as we're talking about law enforcement, law enforcement response, and the safety of one's community, especially this day and age of looting and riots. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, Brian Mudd Show. WIOD in Miami, always an honor and a pleasure to guest host for the great one, Mark Levin. Love being here with you. You may follow me on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio. So let's talk about the role of government in this conversation. We're 63 days away from the presidential election. It's huge. It is that big of a deal. And for all the obvious reasons. But it's not. The biggest deal day-to-day in many of these conversations we're having right now. And there is a reasonable chance 
the base upon where you live and what your circumstances are, the next local election you have will have a bigger impact on your daily life than what happens on November 3rd at the top of the ticket. It sounds odd on the surface. And I'm not saying that we don't have the heart and the soul of our country and the future of this country at stake. But if you don't have security in your own community, how much really matters? I want to do an exercise real quick. And don't worry, I'm not taking you to an inherently unhappy place. It's an exercise. I want you to think for a moment about the worst day of your life. What was the worst day of your life? All right, you have that one? Now I want you to think about the best day of your life. What comes into play when we think about what's most important to us? It's based on perspective. And that's a lot of what I've been discussing during the course of the show today. There's a good chance that the worst day of your life was the day that you lost something or someone. Might have been the loss of a loved one. Might be a divorce. What is that associated with? Well, it's it's a lack of control. It's a lack of a, a sense of being able to help a situation. It's, it's pain and all those things that go along with that emotion. The best day of your life, what does that come down to? Well, that's going to be something that is, is based upon well beyond what you can't control, right? It's going to be based upon something that made you feel good. And why is it that you were allowed to feel good? And how good was that best day of your life? Imagine for a moment that you're, let's say, let's go to China. Let's say that you're in essentially one of these slave labor, labor camps that work in the Chinese factories. So you make next to no money per day. You work nearly from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. And, uh, you know, that's, that's your life. What is the possibility of the best day of their lives? To look a little bit different than yours. But if you take a look at the worst day of their lives, isn't there a lot that we would have in, that's similar? You might say that no matter where you are in the world or no matter what your life in, in, entails, while the highs will never be as good in a place like China for those working in factories because of the Chicoms, as what we have here, Again, the average American in poverty earns more than double what the average person around the world earns. It's perspective for you. Our tragedy tends to be something, our worst days tend to be something that we don't have control over. And they're similar. Now, the reason for this conversation, the way I'm framing it, is this. If you don't have security... If you lose a loved one, if you're worried every day about looting and riots, and if the mob's going to come get you, get your business, does it really matter, the rest of it, the rest of the conversation? 
it's interesting because as I talk about perspective, and I always like to use numbers and specifically facts, two sides of stories, one side of facts, to illustrate the points. 16%. You know what that is? Percentage of the federal budget that is used on the only thing that is mandated within our Constitution. See, the only thing our federal government ever had to do was to provide for the safety of its citizens. And beyond that, it's our job not to sacrifice liberty in the name of security, a battle that we fight ongoing. But the reason that we didn't have a permanent income tax, we didn't have the 16th Amendment to the Constitution until 1913, was because for the first 100-plus years of our country, we focused on the basics. The government, they worked on protecting us. And we were allowed to have the freedom to prosper and to reap the rewards and benefits of what we were able to accomplish. And it is what took most predominantly a group of ragtag colonies that just won a remarkable revolution turned it into the world's superpower inside of 150 years. And think about that with all these countries that had existed for hundreds, in some cases, thousands of years. Here we come along and boom, we zoom by everybody inside of 150 years. Why? Well, it is because of the system of government that allowed for the opportunities that this one allowed. But back to the system of governance. So 16%. That's how much of the federal budget is used on anything related to defense. So already our country has been so out of whack with priorities that we spend 84% of our tax dollars. Imagine if you had paid 84% less federal income tax. What would that mean to you? How much money would that mean to you? Kind of a big deal, right? Anyway, that's what we spend. That's what we're taxed. That is completely arbitrary at the base level. When you boil it down to matters in our community, why do we elect local officials? What is the role that they ultimately play? And if they are not providing for safety and security of your community, does the rest of it really matter? Now, when it comes to elections, there's a lot of irony associated with this. Had this question that just came up. Do you see the looting, anarchy, and destruction continuing if Biden gets elected? That genie is hard to put back in the bottle once it's gotten a taste of some power unless it's dealt with by force. And I understand the point of the question. But in reality, you're really placing the emphasis on the wrong official. So let me reframe a question for a moment. Let's say that Donald Trump were mayor of Chicago, Minneapolis, New York City, Portland, Seattle, do you think there's any chance, and I mean any, that the rioting and violence which we've witnessed and continue to see would have taken place or would have been allowed to take place? Ditto if Donald Trump were governor of those states. You think he'd have the full force of the guard protecting those cities within his state? Now note that each state where we've had prolonged violence and riots have had Democrat governors. And that includes what's happened in Kenosha. As a smaller community than all of the bigger cities that are commonly cited and where we've seen the violence playing out for an extended period of time, you actually had the county commission in Kenosha 
immediately called for 2,000 National Guard troops from the state. But guess what? Democrat governor waited a day to act on that request, rejected the president's offer of assistance, and ultimately only said 150. They were overwhelmed, a second day of violence, and ultimately there's an acquiesce that takes place. And finally, the assistance of the president is accepted. So this, of course, never would have been the case had Donald Trump been governor of Wisconsin. Now, having gone through that exercise, you can work it the other way with Biden, draw your own deductions. But this takes me back to the theme I mentioned of 2020. Elections have consequences, and it's often those which happen closest to you that have the biggest impact in your daily life. Yes, the president of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. But it's with the uniqueness of this representative republic, the most powerful person in the world doesn't dictate policy within our states and cities. All of the cities with violence and riots have exactly what they voted for, or as is commonly the case with local elections, bothered not to vote for, but got from those who did. So just as is the case with who makes the decisions on lockdowns, if your state and your city is still in in the phase of lockdown, is it because of Donald Trump or is it because your governor and your local politicians? Doesn't matter that Donald Trump is the most powerful person in the world, right? Look, it's understandable that we place all that added emphasis on the president. But the answer to the question of who will determine how safe our communities are, the single most important officials, the mayor of one city, mayor of one's county, if you have one, governor. Those are all bigger factors in this conversation than the president of the United States. And there is one caveat, and this is when it comes to matters of national security, which hit home. This was illustrated, and it's something else that has seemingly been forgotten by your news media by the rise of ISIS during the Obama administration. You know when he called on the Muslim Brotherhood to rise up, and they did, in the form of ISIS? Anyway, as the Obama administration allowed ISIS to proliferate around the world, what happened? Well, we ended up having a proliferation here in the States as well. People who identified with ISIS that became radicalized and committed terrorist attacks within our communities. Notice how the crushing of ISIS and the caliphate under the Trump administration led to the end of the ISIS attacks within the United States. But that's how the president impacts security in our communities. The rest of it, it's the local officials. So the bottom line is this. I have little doubt President Trump will be stronger on these issues generally, should he remain president. But your question and those questions are about looting. They're about anarchy. And the broad answer is that neither will inherently have the biggest impact. And that is ultimately why this is happening while Donald Trump is president. We've got to engage at the local level. And it's easier to make a more tangible impact more quickly there as well. Be right back. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Well, these are terrible and very incompetent people. I've offered to send in the National Guard. I've offered to send in anybody they want. I could put that out in 45 minutes and it would stop. And I think the people of Portland and the people of Oregon, I know it's a liberal state, considered liberal. They're tired of it. They're tired of having, uh, of living with this curse. How could you not be? And when you don't have security in your own home, what else really matters? And that's part of the conversation been having here. So... We place so much emphasis on the president of the United States, and we look to the president in terms of direction on all these different issues. But the exercise we just walked through, ultimately, was to illustrate the point that it's often the elections that are closest to us in geography that have the biggest impact on our daily life. One of the areas that I will commonly take a look at, turnout based upon election type. And I can't speak broadly to the entire country. I don't have the latest numbers in my hands, but being in Florida, I keep track of ours. And for example, in Florida, we average 75% turnout among eligible voters for a presidential election. If it is a local only election, we average 12% turnout. Now think about the irony. As we sit here during the pandemic, when 12% of those eligible decided on who would be making the decisions as to if our businesses would be allowed to be open or closed, if we would be able to have classroom education options for our kids, and in many instances, parents that would be allowed to earn a living to try to maintain a roof over their head because they have to now stay at home with their kids because those classroom education options are not being open. All the various different factors that have come into play. And then you take a look at local law enforcement. So how do you think police are funded? You ever taken a look at the breakout of where money comes from for police? I've heard some people say, oh, yeah, I mean, look, defund police, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. You know the police aren't going to go away. Oh, really? If you take a look at where money comes from for our police. You ready? 14% from the federal government, 2% from the state government, 84% at the county and municipal level. Now, what happens if your local government does decide they wanted to fund? 16% of the law enforcement? Telling you, local elections. Pay attention. Make an impact, inform others. We'll be right back. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin.
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. The job of a president is to tell it straight from the shoulder, tell the truth, to be candid, to face facts, to lead, not to incite. There you go. Joe Biden, just just like the Obama administration did, right? I mean, just shooting... Straight from the shoulder, as the case may be, not from the hip, but uh, shooting straight from the shoulder and, and telling it like it is. Like, for example, you know, laying the groundwork for Trump-Russia collusion. Like, for example, having a State Department, intelligence agencies, and uh, ultimately the Justice Department that were all in on this false dossier and that falsified evidence that was presented to the FISA court. I mean, it's almost like you know, that happened on his watch. I, I don't know what happened. Shooting straight from the shoulder. Straighting, shooting straight from the shoulder, like with Benghazi, right? And all this uh, very honest, on-the-level politicking by Joe Biden. So glad that uh, he is the, uh, the example of, of getting it right, of, of shooting straight, of telling the, the truth. Like, where's Hunter, by the way? <laughs> Been a while. Anybody seen Hunter? And uh, shooting straight from the shoulder on how Hunter came by his position at Burisma. And shooting straight from the shoulder how China got their money from Biden. I just, straight from the shoulder. Let's go to uh, Jimmy in Brooklyn. Jimmy, go. Yes, what we're seeing in the streets, these are Marxist revolutionary groups. They have other people among them who might not be Marxist. But this is a Marxist movement. We had an incident here several years ago in Harlem, 125th Street, Harlem, New York, where uh, Al Sharpton and his radicals fired up a crowd, and the crowd didn't want the white-owned store up there. So one of the people from Sharpton's group went into the store and shot five people. When that black uh, guy was arrested in his apartment, the report said it was full of Communist Party literature. And with more background checking on him, it turned out he was a follower of communism. He, he had friends. So you get communists in the crowd, they know how to agitate. It's violent. It's pretty much like an open revolution here. Now, this happened once before in America, a big what? communist revolution, 1922. And sure the main enough. cities, 1922, was Seattle and Portland, just like today. The communists know their history. 
better than uh, most Americans. And to your point, Jimmy, and you know somebody who recently ended up laying the groundwork for a lot of the racial tensions that we're experiencing and a lot of the rise of socialism most recently. It happened to be none other than. You've got this one, Jimmy. It was Al Sharpton, but it's also this Antifa thing. This is a direct... Antifa, basically, when they don't have the masks on, that's the Revolutionary Communist Party, and it's also Freedom Road Socialist Organization and some Black Lives Matter. When they put the masks on, it's Antifa. They claim to be fighting against fascism because the communists always try to tie everything to World War II where the Nazis were clearly the bad guy. So they try to make it again where this is the same thing. The Soviets fought the Nazis, therefore communism's good. They're trying to do a replay now where the communists out in the street are trying to save us from the fascists. However, the people they're attacking are not fascists. This is just the way the communists get their people fired up. Well, they have foreign, foreign connections to China, Russia, even Iran. And this is all documented stuff. I have friends that do research. It's been published. This is a highly organized, Soros is funding a group called Global Exchange. Okay, ding, ding, ding. There we go, Jimmy, and you just nailed it. So let's complete the circle. The official who brought it to the forefront was none other than somebody who studied under Bill Ayers. Yeah, you had Barack Obama. And so being that Obama was a student of all this, it wasn't just that he called on the Muslim Brotherhood to rise up, and they did, and became prominent as ISIS. It was also that he created the Rules for Radicals in Action. And it's not a surprise. This is something that I've discussed from time to time, and it's very much the case today. A lot of people will take a look at what's happened and will view things in a very linear path. You made a really good point in that the the groundwork's been laid for quite some time. Uh, This didn't happen overnight. And the very first signs that under the Obama administration, you had this element ready to act, it was the Occupy Wall Street movement. The Occupy Wall Street movement really was the first organizing of these Marxists. And that grew. And over the course of time, they ended up gaining even more traction. And part of that traction is related to some of what you're talking about, the influence of China. The deals, we talked about Biden and the connections and Hunter and the like, connections to Russia and to China. Who benefits from that? What politics are they interested in? How did that end up playing a role in some of the activization here? You mentioned Soros and where a lot of the funding is. Remember in Kenosha, we found out that most of the people who have been arrested came from outside Kenosha, some people from outside the country. How did they get there? No doubt they've been paid to be there. Paid agitators. Rules for radicals, straight out of the book. And the person who was responsible for that book, well, it was none other than somebody that Barack Obama learned from directly and laid that groundwork all throughout our government and ended up cultivating a culture where it became active within communities here in the States. And that is part of what we're dealing with right now. Let's go to Steve in Louisville. Steve, go. Well, first of all, and this guy, I got to comment with this guy, Jimmy. But anyway, uh, I, I cer- certainly disagree with you making comments a little while ago that none of the social programs, the Democrats, that they all do not help the people they're intended to help. Did I say and anything to that effect? Let's do, first, Steve. Did I say that? Maybe I heard. Maybe I heard another show. I don't. I'm not sure. But I, I, you said something <laughs> like that. What I said, uh, Steve, is that 
16% of federal spending, 16% of the federal government spending is on defense. At the time of the founding of this country, the only mandate was the protection of the people. The reason we didn't have a federal income tax until the 16th Amendment in 1913, we never had a permanent federal income tax until 1913, is because up to that point in American history, we didn't have anything other than the essentials that were being provided and ultimately defense. Now, over the course of time, since we passed the federal income tax and people got into our pocketbooks, 84%, 84 cents of every dollar that's spent by the federal government is spent on non-essentials. Now, I didn't offer any commentary beyond that. I didn't say anything about Democrat programs or this or that. So anything else that you took from that point uh, is is you just kind of running away with something that in putting words in my mouth. It's uh, highways. It goes to public education. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? Well, you just said 84 percent. Is no good. It's not working. It's going. I didn't say it's no. No, I didn't. See, I quite literally did not. See, this is the problem when you hear what you want to hear rather than what's actually said. And this is what happens when you don't understand the Constitution. At the time of our founding, the only mandate was the protection of our citizens. That is the only non-negotiable that our federal government has. That's it. Everything else is a choice. They do not have the choice to not protect us. Defense spending represents that. 84 cents on the dollar back prior to 1913, you had essentially all money that was going towards essentials. Once they passed the federal income tax, then you had non-essentials. Now, I didn't say that non-essentials are no good or whatever else. I have, I think a lot of them are crap. But Steve, I got a question for you. How many federal agencies do you think there are? Oh, there's probably about three or 400, you know. Okay, at least three or 400. Okay, so so uh, you you think that uh, is necessarily the ideal use of of all your tax money? One of them is Social Security. Do you have parents or aunts and uncles that are in Social Security getting Medicare? Did I bring up anything about Social Security or Medicare? That that's neither here nor there in that conversation, Steve, because it is a fact that it's a choice. That's the reason that we ended up making it to the '40s and eventually the '60s before we had the aforementioned programs that you're talking about. We didn't have even the the initial social programs of which you're discussing in place until the 1930s. How did we get to the 1930s in American history without those programs? Because they were non-essential. It's a choice. That's the point. You conflating it with what you think is good or not good, but at least you know that there are a bunch of bullcrap agencies in the federal government. There happen to be 430. And actually, one of the things I've long thought we should do, we we should take every member of Congress, everybody in the House, everybody in the Senate, and let everybody write down as many federal agencies as they can. And if your agency can't be named by one member of Congress, it gets defunded. How many of the 430 do you think go away at that point? Let's go to John. John, go. Yeah, uh, I was just calling in about what the comments that you made about Trayvon Martin, and you sort of grouped him in with all these other uh, you know, suspects, I guess, for lack of a better terminology. And to me, there's only two people that knew what happened, because really you, were, you referenced the investigation, and you were saying, well, Trayvon was beating George Zimmerman to a bloody pulp. Well, really, I mean, the investigation was more or less based on George Zimmerman's uh, testimony, and uh, Trayvon had every right to be there because his dad lived there. He was visiting his dad. And to me, uh, George Zimmerman basically profiled, stalked, and murdered a, a 17-year-old boy. 
Then why did the investigation find otherwise and why did the legal system rule the opposite of what you're saying? Because they because, because you know better than they did. I didn't say I knew better than they did, but I'm and perhaps saying- John and perhaps John, you should take a look at the medical records with one George Zimmerman and you should take a look at the cell phone uh, forensic evidence that was brought into it. And honestly, I really don't care here or there because I don't necessarily think George Zimmerman was a good person. And in the context of what was going on there, I don't know that my personal opinion is that he was not necessarily motivated by the right reasons. Uh, I think both of them were a problem and we saw a really bad outcome from it. My point is we had a legal determination in that instance and Trayvon Martin to many in this country still hailed as a victim when in fact he was found to be the perpetrator. So we can sit here and, and, you know, trying to infer whatever we want to, but the fact of the matter remains that ultimately it was found to be self-defense, the evidence, the preponderance of evidence found as much, and that is the the ultimate outcome here. And anything else is is not really going to be constructive for the greater purpose of trying to figure out why it is that we take people that are perpetrators and paint them as though they're victims. And it's and, and it is similar. It's different in that George Zimmerman was not a law enforcement professional, but it's similar in that immediately you had Barack Obama, president of the United States, say that if he had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin and assume that Trayvon was a victim. It's the same as Michael Brown robbing a store and then attacking a police officer and Barack Obama, president of the United States, jumping in there and assuming guilt of the police officer and having this establishment of a narrative that exists to this day of hands up, don't shoot, when we found out that the police officer was acting in self-defense. And it plays into the victimization of perpetrators. George Floyd was a criminal. Did he deserve to be killed by Derek Chauvin? No. But he was a criminal. And if he wasn't a criminal, and if he wasn't resisting arrest, and if he wasn't hopped up on God knows how many illegal drugs, then we're not having these conversations right now. The guy certainly isn't a martyr. And we have no evidence that it was racially motivated. Same as Trayvon. Same as Michael Brown, and yes, same as Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake was a sexual offender, and he had a warrant out for his arrest because he violated the terms of his parole for sexual assault. And so as police are trying to protect a woman that he had already victimized, he resisted arrest to the point where even being tased didn't stop the guy. We're waiting for the rest of the investigation to ensue. My point is, every one of these instances, you have the news media, you have politicians on the left, you have the race baiters that throw those in law enforcement in front of the bus, assume the worst, fan the flames of race, and everybody's the worse off for it. Two sides to stories, one side to facts. I'll be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I disagree with a lot of what he said. He said, keep it uh, open for China. That was a big mistake, and he admits it. Uh, I just, I get along with him, but every once in a while he'll come up with one that I say, where did that come from? I inherited him. He was here. That's <laughs> Fauci he's talking about. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, he, he came with the furniture in, the, in that White House. Fauci guy, you know, most parties are right, and he's got some pretty good stuff here and there, but sometimes it's like, what? You said what? But yeah, he was here, and we, we kept him. Oh, uh, kind of funny. All right, let's talk a little bit uh, about the election itself. So I want to walk you through a couple things real quick that uh, will vote a lot better than a lot of what you're hearing from mainstream news media per- uh, pretending to suggest that Joe Biden is in a much better position than he actually is. So walk you through a couple things. First, the convention bounce or the no balance thing. It's nonsense. You had ABC that ended up producing a poll that wasn't even conducted after the convention was over with. And they tried to say, oh, yeah, and uh, it doesn't look good for Trump. There's no Trump bounce. Well, that was completely bogus. But you know what we did see? There are actually four polls, four polls that were conducted before the DNC. And after the DNC. And in those polls, you know what happened? CBS UGov, no change. CNBC and change research, Biden gained two. Rasmussen, he lost three. And Economist UGov, he lost one. Culminates into a net loss of a half of 1% across four polls in the polling age. You know how many conventions have resulted in no bounce of any sort? Numero dos. You know who those two conventions involved? Very interesting similarities here. In both of those instances where there was no measurable convention bounce, it happened to be years where you had Democrats challenging incumbent Republican presidents. It was George McGovern in 1972, John Kerry in 2004. Interesting, right? Now, you see some of the other polling that's starting to come out, like Emerson. Definitely looks like there was a Trump bounce coming out of the convention. I got one more here for you, and it is about how this cycle looks. Know which one this most resembles? This election will always be mostly about President Trump because presidential elections are mostly about the incumbents if they're running for election. And if you go back to the incarnation of the two-party system, these are Republican incumbents which have won re-election. Since 1860, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, William McKinney, Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and George W. Bush. There are two that ran for election and failed. 
Herbert Hoover, and George H.W. Bush. Now, of those nine cycles, which one does this most resemble? Pretty interesting. Remember that whole Kerry 2004 thing? One that really stands out above the, the rest? George W. Bush. Here are the similarities. Both won the Electoral College but lost the popular vote the first time. Both presided over a recession brought about by unforeseen national emergencies. Both passed tax cuts. Both saw record stock market performances heading into election. There you go. Something to feel good about. Have a great night. Always a pleasure being with you. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.